fast. Everyone else, if you'd turn to Mark chapter 11, please. Mark chapter 11 this morning. Mark chapter 11. He never gives up on me. I, I couldn't help but think while they were singing that the Bible talks about our faithfulness to God, and that fails. We sometimes are, sometimes not. But Timothy writes about the fact that God is always faithful, and God is always faithful, and even, even when we're not, God is still faithful. So appreciate that reminder from Ben and Paul this morning. That was excellent. Mark chapter 11, uh, I've expressed this to you before, that it is not unusual for me to go through a passage or study a passage that I thought I've done many times before and see things for the first time. And this particular passage this morning, there's like three different things that I never, ever saw before. And uh, maybe you have. I, I, don't, I don't dismiss that possibility. But, but it, it always amazes me as I look through this. It's like, okay, well, this is just another part of the last week of Jesus's life. And but then all of a sudden, there's something that's like, I, I, I never noticed that before. Now, one is, uh, one is my favorite because it's kind of humorous. Um, the other two are serious, so they're not my favorite. Um, but uh, it, is, uh, it is a fun passage uh, as far as learning some things that uh, what Jesus was doing and why it infuriated the uh, Sadducees so much and the, and the Pharisees so much. Why the group was like, we have to kill him. We have to put a stop to this. Because Jesus was basically checking the boxes and saying that, uh, you know, the opportunity for you to respond to the kingdom is over. The time of, of using this temple to worship me is over. And uh, they don't like it. <laughs> and it's pretty clear what he's doing. But the, uh, but the Jewish leaders do not like it because Jesus basically is saying uh, to them that, you know, the... Uh, the Jewish people have turned their back on the light that they have. And so we'll look at this this morning, uh, starting in Matthew, or Mark chapter 11. And again, this is, the, this is the ultimate test of his disciples. From the very start, he's told them that they need to deny themselves, be willing to deny their family, forsake all, follow me, be willing to die for. Uh, now it's kind of coming to that point where uh, if, if they want to kill Jesus, then the disciples are next in line. And uh, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And uh, at a time where I'm telling you that I'm not going to set up my kingdom right now, I'm going to go to a far country, and you need to, you know, occupy till I come. You're the ones who have to hold down the fort till I come back. This is important stuff. This is this is strong. Uh, you know, are the disciples still going to stand? Are they going to stand firm? Are they going to deny themselves? Are they going to are they going to do what God has called them to do? The Pharisees are the antagonists in this particular story. They are the false shepherds. They're supposed to be the leaders. They're supposed to be the ones who lead the people spiritually and lead them to the Messiah and lead them to the truth. And they're the ones who know the Old Testament better than anybody else. They're the ones who know all the prophecies better than anybody else. But they're false shepherds and they're hirelings and they're self-righteous. Uh, they trust in their own abilities and they're blind spiritually. They seek the praise of men. They're covetous. They're more interested in the money and, and the, and the um, accolades that they get from their position and they look down upon others to the point where Jesus says, listen, I, I, I know you're, you think you're a lock for this kingdom of God stuff, but the kingdom of God is not automatic. 
It's not automatic by birth nor by your good works. The kingdom of God is something that's made up of humble people who have faith that Jesus is or that I am sent from God. Uh, And you have to recognize that God is the one who sent me. If you do not recognize God's gift to you, then you do not know my Father. If you do not know me, you do not know my Father. Well, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes and Caiaphas, the high priest, basically came to this conclusion, Jesus must die. They came to that conclusion uh, after the resurrection of Lazarus in particular. Uh, it's like all the whole world is following after him. We've got to do something. We've got to stop this. This last week in Jesus' life, again, escalates all of that. It literally is kind of like turning the volume up. I, um, I told the kids at our Christian school in my Bible class a couple, couple weeks ago, just to give you the illustration of turning things up. Uh, Many, many, many years ago, um, some of you will remember, we had a, we had a console a record player and radio um, type device, and, I, and I, it may have even had an 8-track in it, I'm not absolutely sure, okay? But we had this, and this was in our living room, and it was a nice piece of furniture, and my dad had had a volume control on there, and my dad was very, very specific about what we could listen to, what we could not listen to. And the volume could not go more than four or five, okay? That was it, okay? And so what I would do is I, I like to hear uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I like to hear the radio broadcast of the game. So if it was ever on TV, I would turn the TV on, and, and then I, but I'd have the radio broadcast. I'd turn the sound down, mute the sound, and I'd have the radio broadcast in the background while I watched it on TV. Now, of course, this infuriated my dad because two, instru- two things were sucking electricity, and, and this, was, this, was, this was just absolutely horrible. However, the reason I use the illustration is my own father, who was a very reasonable man most of the time, and firm and stern and hardworking and all the rest, every once in a while he would lose his mind. Um, and it ha- usually happened on a Saturday, and, and he loved marching music. He loved John Philip Sousa stuff, okay? And he would put one of these records, a, uh, a 33, if you even know what that is anymore. Uh, and, and he would put that on there, and, and he would get the marches, John Phillips do some marches, you know, da, 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 you know, that kind of stuff, all right? And he would take that volume thing and crank it to 11. It didn't have an 11, but he cranked that thing up as loud as he possibly could. And, and I would be out in the yard playing with my friends, and we could hear it outside while my dad was literally marching around the house to this, you know, and he only did it once every two or three months, and I, I think it was some kind of let off steam or whatever it was, or, you know, reality moment, or just he was insane, I don't know. Um, but, but it was like full blast, and you couldn't, seriously, you couldn't come in the house, you couldn't get anywhere near it because it was like, oh my goodness, it would just blow you away. And what I want you to see is that's what happens this last week of Jesus' life. It's like he's, he's turning up the volume of who he is and what he's going to do and what's going to happen. He's making more prophecies. He's, he's shutting some doors. And what happens is these Jewish religious leaders have to make a choice. Are we going to follow him? Are we going to believe that he's the Messiah and go his route? Or are we going to... And, and really the line is drawn. And, and the sides are picked, and, and this side says, we've got to put an end to him. 
What is happening in the day in which we live, I think the lines are being drawn. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's not even close anymore. You know, there, there used to be a time, <clears throat> I can go back to that time, but, you know, in the, in the you know, I, I saw something, I, I think Lori Smith posted it. She said something about in 1950, you know, 70% of the people uh, went to church. Uh, now, 20% of the people go to church on a Sunday morning. Okay, uh, it used to be you couldn't tell who was a Christian and who's not a Christian because everybody lived a moral life and everybody had high standards and high ethics, and you couldn't tell who was who was who or what was what. And um, now the lines are being drawn very, very clearly. And and I think the closer we get to the end of the time, I, I think the the more distinct it will be. And even when we get to the uh, tribulation period, at that particular point, there are lines, and, and it's the mark of the beast. Who gets the mark of the beast? Who doesn't get the mark of the beast? You've made your choice. You've picked your side. This is completely a sidelight. I, I didn't even plan on saying this, but I think it's extremely humorous. It's very sad, but it's, uh, some of you are familiar with Leah Thomas, who is um, uh, the, the guy who was swimming for the University of Pennsylvania swim team for three years. He swam on the men's team for three years had a transgender change, and now he's swimming for the girls' team. And he's beating uh, silver medalists. Uh, uh, we've had some of our silver medalists in the Olympics. Uh, he's beating them, and he, she is beating them, and setting all kinds of records. And what is absolutely amazing to me is the people that are most upset are left-wing people that are most upset about this, Okay. Because the, the same people that pushed for uh, women's rights and, and, and equal playing field for women and equal pay for women and, and those who went, went for, you know, we can't discriminate no matter what you are, who you are, whatever, okay? Now they want to discriminate, okay? Because he, she is beating all the records and it's not fair. And I'm like, no kidding. You changed the rules and now you don't like them. Huh. That's funny, Okay. To me, it's like, this is exactly what we saw coming. This is exactly what, and um, they even, even to the point when they had a, a medal ceremony, he, she is standing on one side, and second, third, and fourth place are standing over here on the other side, uh, you know, completely, completely separate. And it's like, you brought this on yourself. You did this to yourself. And now it, it, is, the, it is the left side that is really upset about something needs to be done. Uh, you know, he, he's allowed to be a girl, but he's not allowed to compete in girls' sports. But that would be, oh, that would be, um, whatever it is, what's the word I'm looking for? That, yes, that would be bad, or good, or confusing, okay? So anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with anything, except for the fact that the lines are being drawn, the good, bad, it's, it's easy to tell what's bad and what's good. And, and Jesus turns up the volume here, and, and, and he tells his own disciples, though, he says, this is going to be difficult for you because uh, all the things that have been prophesied about the Messiah have to come to pass. Uh, I'll be despised. I'll be rejected. I'll be a man of sorrows. Uh, I'll be wounded. He'll be wounded for us. He'll be oppressed and afflicted and silent. His bones will be out of joint. He'll be pierced, his hands and his feet. Uh, you'll part my garments by casting lots, and God will be satisfied with the son's sacrifice. He tells his disciples, it's be like a nobleman. I'm going to a far country. I'm going to get my kingdom, and then I will return. I need you to occupy till I come. I need you to share the gospel. I need you to share the truth. I need you to share what is, what is right. It won't be easy, because the citizens hate me. 
And if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But I will reward you for your faithful service. Now, last week we looked at the fact that Jesus arrived outside of Jerusalem. He came to Bethany, Bethphage, and Mount of Olives. We showed you where all those different places were. And, um, and again, I want to mention Bethany is the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and I want to reflect on these things just a little bit. Jesus went often to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Okay? He ate there. Uh, he resided outside of the city. Anytime he, I, I would think almost any time he came to the Jerusalem for a feast day, which was usually three times a year, at least that, um, he would stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And you know how Mary was one who was always at his feet, always listening, and Martha was like always busy about getting things ready and to the point where Martha said one time, Jesus, please, there's so much to get ready, there's so much to do, would you please tell my sister to help me? And Jesus says, she's doing the right thing. Mary, you're cumbered about much things, you're worried about too many things. And so, and then of course Lazarus dies and they're both brokenhearted and, and Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Okay? This is all at Bethany. Now he's back at Bethany. And of course, all those people that were there when Jesus rose Lazarus, they know he's back. They want to see what is he going to do next. And they're, and they're drawn to him. And for the first time, Jesus actually plans and promotes a public demonstration. He asked the disciples, get the donkey's colt. Uh, we're going to put palm branches and garments, and I'm going to declare my kingship. And he descends the Mount of Olives headed towards Jerusalem. And there is loud praise from all these people, and most of these people are, are from Bethany and from the Mount of Olives area, Bethphage, and they've come, and they're, and they're coming into Jerusalem. It's a parade going into Jerusalem saying, Hosanna, and blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. The Pharisees don't like it, and they hear this, and they, and they hear what's going on. It says that they're in the crowd. They're in the multitude crowd telling Jesus to stop them. Tell them to be quiet. Tell them to silence themselves. And Jesus looks around, and again, we looked around at the terrain, and it's like, he says, you know what? If, if they were silent, the rocks would cry out. And how awesome would that have been? Because there's just a few rocks in that particular area. How awesome would that have been? The rocks themselves would cry out. And then Jesus, as he approaches Jerusalem, he stops and he pauses. And it's like the parade halts. And as he's about to enter Jerusalem, he weeps and he cries over Jerusalem. He weeps and tells them of horrors to come. And in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus comes and for 143 days, he lays siege to Jerusalem. 600,000 Jews are, are put to death, mostly uh, are crucified. He destroys, Titus destroys the temple. And Jesus weeps and cries and tells them of what, is, what lies ahead. And then he returns to Bethany. Mark chapter 11, verse number 11, this says it this way. This would be still the Sunday. This is the Palm Sunday. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he looked around about him, upon all things. And now the evening time has come, and he went out into Bethany with the twelve. As he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he went and checked out the temple. But he is not going to cleanse the temple till the next day, which would be Monday. So this last event, verse number 11, is on, it's kind of like he, he looked it out, looked at the temple, and of course, it's still commercialism. It's exploitation and corruption and uh, dirt and filth and pride and hypocrisy and something needs to be done and he's going to take care of it the very next day. 
Verse number 12, this is, this, is one of my, uh, this is my humorous find for the day, all right? I know you've been waiting for that. Um, on the morrow, when he was come from Bethany, he was hungry. I say, okay, like what exactly is funny about that? I'll tell you what's funny. Jesus brought this on himself. He's hungry. He came from where? Bethany. Who lives in Bethany? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know why Jesus had no breakfast? Martha was listening to the devotional and not fixing anything. <laughs> what else could it be? Well, Mary, you're worried about, uh, Martha, you're worried about something you should sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from me. Well, Jesus got ready for the morning. Okay, fine. So Jesus left the house with no breakfast. He's starving, okay? Whose fault is that? His own, okay? Because uh, normally Martha would have fixed a very nice breakfast, and this wouldn't have been a problem. All right, well, maybe you don't appreciate it quite as much as I do. Uh, I just think there's a little irony in all that right there. Because, um, why? I mean, why else, okay? Because the other point of this is going to be, and seeing a fig tree afar off, Having leaves, he came, if happily he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of fix was not yet. Okay, pause, stop, think about that. All right, Jesus is God, right? Jesus is not looking at the fig tree going like, oh, cool, I'm starving, and there's a tree with figs. And he goes and goes, oh, crumb, there's no, fig tree. There's no figs on this tree. <laughs> That's what you and I would do. That's how... Mark writes it up. That's how Peter may have told Mark. But Jesus knows there's no figs on the tree. He's not going to be like, oh, I'm disappointed because there's no food here. Okay? Plus the fact, it's not time for figs yet. This is Passover. This is March or April, about this time of year. And, and, and it's, not, it's not possible that there would be ripe figs on this tree. It's, it's not even a possibility. Now, this is going to cause a little bit of problem later because it's like Jesus curses the fig tree because it didn't have any, but there was like no chance that it could. That's not fair to the poor fig tree, okay? <laughs> All right. Anyways, I, I'm trying not to overthink this, but nonetheless, the idea is Jesus knows that the fig tree has no figs on it. But this is a lesson. This is a lesson for the disciples. I told you before, he's always teaching them. This is all about them. They assumed this information, verse number 13, that he was looking for something to eat. But it says the time of figs was not yet. I, I don't know what you would expect because it's, it's just not there. Okay? It's like, oh, I think I'll go out to the apple tree in my yard and eat some apples. Um, that's a little early for that. There's no apples on your tree. There's no figs on the tree. And he knew this. And then it says, And Jesus answered and said unto it, He's talking to the tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. Okay, we think people are weird now because they're tree huggers and they talk to, you know. Jesus was talking to the tree. What is the lesson? What is the point? What is all this about? Did not Jesus know there was no fruit? Yes, he did. And that is exactly, the fig tree represents Israel. The fig, the fig tree represents Jerusalem. He's trying to explain what happened yesterday. 
Yesterday, I came into town. You remember all the people shouting, Hosanna, all the people like, praise him. Oh, you know, praise to the king who's from heaven. This is all, oh, wonderful. Our king is right. He said, you remember all that? He said, that's all fluff and stuff. That's all leaves. It looks so good. It looks like it's mature. It looks like it's ready. It looks like it's ready to have fruit. Certainly, it's in the, this tree is in the prime. This tree certainly has, no, it's just, it's just for looks. He says, when you get closer and you're trying to find honest-to-goodness fruit there, there isn't any. This is why I'm weeping over Jerusalem, because what's happening right now, what's happening this week, is Jesus is shutting the door on Jerusalem. He's shutting the door on Israel. He's shutting the door on the temple. He's shutting the door on their worship. He's shutting the door on their opportunity to accept him as king. And he says, it's because there's no fruit there. There's nothing there. There's leaves, but there's no fruit. Now, there's another thing here, as far as further study is concerned. It is believed when he looked at this tree, there was no evidence that there was ever going to be any fruit. By this time, March or April, there should have been something on the tree. We would, we would call them blossoms and things of that nature. But a fig tree has little itty-bitty things that look like figs, the little bumps that come up. Okay, The little bumps or little pods that come up to indicate the fact that they're, they're not the fruit itself, but it indicates the fact that there's going to be fruit later. What Jesus finds is nothing. So this tree wasn't going to bear any fruit anyhow. And basically what Jesus says is, you know, you know this tree looks amazing, but there's, never, there's not going to be any fruit on it this year at all. And so there's, there's no evidence that there's any fruit or ever will be any fruit on this thing. And so he's going to put an end to it. And he says, never again, last chance, last chance. And so the fig tree represents Israel and Jerusalem. He said, this is why I cry and this is why I mourn, because it looks so good. But there's nothing there, nothing of substance there. And then he immediately goes from this point, verse number 15. We talked about this last week a little bit, and we'll just mention it again. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went right to the temple to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And we've talked about all this, how they, how they, they were ripping people off and they were uh, charging exorbitant prices for, uh, for the sacrifices and they were uh, exchanging money and you know, somebody's giving me, you know, uh, you, know you have to have uh, Jewish currency, I give you $10 in Roman currency and they return $5 in Jewish currency. They're making money in the exchange, uh, and, and they're, they're stealing from people. He said, you've taken my house, my father's house that's a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. He cast them out, those that sought and bold. He o- bought, and he overthrew the tables, the money changers, and the dove sellers. This is, verse 16 is another verse that I did not see before. And if you, again, if you're just reading quickly, it says, oh, he cast out them that sold and bought bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessels through the temple. And he taught them saying, if, if we don't slow down, he would not suffer any man that he should carry any vessel through the temple. Literally what he, what he is doing here, he is not just shutting down the money changers and the, and the sacrifices and, and the rip-offs that are going on. He did that at the very beginning of his ministry. 
and they're back. Three years, three and a half years, they're back again. He not only is shutting them down again, he literally is shutting down the temple. He says, I want nothing to be taking place in this building anymore. That's what that means. Because in order to service the temple, they had to take uh, things in and out of the temple. We've got to bring, bring bread in and out. We've got to bring oil in and out. We've got to change out uh, the, the, um, the, uh, the spices for the incense. There, there, there has to be busyness in the temple. There has to be activity. There has to be things going on in the temple. People coming in to offer their, uh, the priest going in and out, and he says, stop it. I want it all to stop right now. He is shutting down the temple. Now, it doesn't stop because Jesus says stop, <laughs> just like it doesn't stop because uh, he threw out the money changers. They came right back. But I'm telling you that the people do not like this. They, they do not like the implication because it's like he's saying that you cannot worship in this place anymore. And it's almost like the two strikes you're out, <laughs> okay? It's like, I, I told you about this before, and now here it's happening again. That's it. And so this is about 29 or 30 A.D., where Jesus says, this is it. The next things that happen, by the way, when Jesus is crucified, the next things that happen are Peter saying, God doesn't, God doesn't live in buildings made with hands anymore. He lives in our hearts. The temple of God is in our heart. It's not here anymore. Peter declares what Jesus is doing right now. This is it. I'm done. I'm finished with this. this is no, that's, we're done. And finally, because they do not get it, Finally, in 70 A.D., Titus destroys it completely. So there's not one stone laid upon another. You don't think God could protect this house if he wanted to? But that temple is destroyed. Not one stone left upon another. All the, all the vessels and all, everything is taken. And, and, but what Jesus is doing here is he's aggravating the daylights out of the devout Jewish leaders because he's just basically telling them, I want nothing. I want no worship going on in this place anymore. Yipes. My father's house, saying to them, my house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. And when the scribes and Pharisees heard it, they sought how they might destroy him because it's like, no, no, this is, no, no, this is wrong. And, and they're violently upset about what Jesus is doing. The scribes and the chief priests don't care if Jesus throws out Sadducees. They don't care. But he's shutting down the temple. He's saying that the offer to Israel is over. This tree is going to die. No fruit. I find no fruit here. This tree is going to die. This is the end. Last offer. Worship, that's done. Not in the temple anymore. That's done. And they are angry. They sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. <laughs> they are angry. They are upset. The other passages that we looked at last week, Matthew 21 says, uh, he brought in, you know, he said, thieves are allowed to be here, but the blind and the lame are not. He brought in the lame and the blind and healed them. And children were crying, Hosanna, and the chief priests were very displeased. And Jesus taught them daily in the temple. But here it says they feared him. They're afraid of him. 
Because all the people were astonished at his doctrine, at what he said. It doesn't say they were astonished at his miracles, which makes most sense to us. It's like, whoa, he rose Lazarus, and he did this, and he's healing the blind and the lame. It doesn't say they were astonished at his miracles. It says they were astonished at his doctrine, at what he said. And they're like, whoa. No fruit, no worship, no more chance, no more worship. John chapter 12, if you'd turn there, please. Turn to John chapter 12. We'll pick up the story there in John 12. Because now what he's asking them to do, they need to choose a side. Choose a side. This one's interesting. And again, for a long time, this passage here in John 12, I, I did not understand it at all, and I, and I still might not, to be perfectly honest with you, because it, it's not very clear what takes place. But in John chapter 12, verse number 20, well, let's go back to 19. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, do you see how that we prevail nothing? Behold, the world has gone after him. Everybody's listening to him. Everybody's following what he's doing. Everybody, it, this, is, this is bad. These people are listening to what he has to say. Verse 20, and then there were certain Greeks among them that had come to worship at the feast. Okay, most likely these are Gentiles, uh, and, and they're, whether they're proselytes or not, we don't know, but they've somehow come, they're, they're God-fearers, they've come to worship and again, you must assume they're here for the feast. They've come to worship in the temple or thereabouts or close to it, at least in the court of the Gentiles or something. And, and there were certain Greeks come up, uh, among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same they therefore came to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. These three verses here, speak of the arrival of the Greeks, and, and, and the way it's worded is this is not the first time they've ever come up to a feast, they've, as they were accustomed to coming. These God-fearers or proselytes or whatever, they approach Philip, and it's interesting, Philip does have a Greek or a Gentile name, even though he's one of Jesus' disciples, and even though he is from Galilee, he's, the, the name Philip is a Greek name, so possibly that was the attraction. And then the other weird part is Philip just didn't bring him to Jesus by himself. He went and got Andrew. <laughs> uh, and Andrew, again, it's kind of interesting. Every time Andrew appears in the Bible or in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus every single time. He brings his brother Peter, he brings the lad with the lunch, and he brings the Greeks along with Philip. Every time Andrew is bringing somebody to Jesus, and so Philip's going like, well, I can't bring you to Jesus. That's Andrew's job. So I don't know. But what does he say to the Greeks? What does he say to the Gentiles? It, it doesn't give us any information. It just says that they came and said, we want to see Jesus. And maybe it's because of what Jesus has just said, that the, the worship as far as this temple is concerned is done, is finished. Well, what do we need? We, we need to talk to Jesus. What, what do we do now? What, what, what's going on? Verse 23 says, and Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily I say unto you, except corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. 
If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there, he shall, uh, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. <clears throat> now, is this the message to the Greeks? Is this the message to these people that came? He says, you know, what are we going to do as far as worship is going? He says, well, it's time. Over and over again throughout the Gospels, Jesus is prompted to do stuff or to put on a show, even by his own mom, by his own brethren, and he said, my hour has not yet come. Or they try to take him, and he says, my hour has not yet come. You can't take me because it's not, it's not time yet. Now he declares, it is time. This is the end. This is, we're, and again, emphasizing the fact that this is all coming to a head. This is all coming, this, this, this is the time. It's time. Verse 21 uh, I'm sorry, verse number 23. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's time that the Son of Man is glorified. That word glorified, again, means uh, to give the right opinion of or to give the right opinion of God. It is time for the Son of Man, it's time for me, Jesus, to give the right opinion of God. And what is the right opinion of God? The right opinion of God is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The right opinion is God sent me to save you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die and this crucifixion is going to draw men to, my, to me because God loves you so much. This is the only possible way you could ever get to heaven. I'm going to give the right opinion of God. God loves me so much that he would sacrifice his son. It is time for that to happen. The hour is come. The son of man will be glorified. Very, very, it is so, it is so. Listen, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. And again, whether it's wheat or corn or any type of seed you want, those stupid seeds will sit in a little packet. <laughs> you know, now farmers have no idea what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> but small garden people do, okay? These seeds in this stupid little packet, those are there forever. Nothing ever happens. Or you can get some seeds and you can put them out here and and, oh, we're going we're gonna to get some peach trees from these peach seeds that we have here, okay? Okay, put them on the counter. Guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing happens to the seeds until it gets in the ground. And Jesus is saying the same thing. He says what's, what's going to happen here is this corn of wheat is going to fall into the ground <clears throat> and die. And, and nothing happens if it abides alone. But if it dies, if it's buried, then it's going to bring forth much fruit. And what's going to happen, he's talking about his death. He's talking about the fact that when I die, when I'm crucified, a lot is going to happen. A lot of people are going to be drawn to me. It's time for me to be glorified. It's time for me to die. And much will come from my death. And verse 25, it's time for you to choose. If you love your life, you'll lose it. He that hates his life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. If you hang on, Basically, it's like, it's like, well, if I, if I, if I take my life and I, and I bury it and I lose my life in Jesus. He said, you really haven't buried your life. You've planted the seed. And your life springs forth from that. The analogies he's talking about is if you, if you want to serve me, then follow me. And if you follow me, then you'll be with me. This is interesting. This is lovers, <laughs> lovers, losers, haters, keepers. 
Okay? He that loves his life will lose it. He that hates his life shall keep it unto eternal life. If a man serve me, let him follow me. Stay with me. And again, this is going to be, the, this is kind of a, a discerning moment because he's like, we are drawing this line. Okay? We are drawing this line. It is very, very clear. The enemy is mounting their forces over here. Are you on my side or are you on their side? Are you going to follow me or are you going to follow the Pharisees? Are you, are you going to stay with that or are you going to believe me? Are you going to believe me? Are you going to follow me? You, you want to serve me? Then you follow me. That where I am, there shall also my servant be. If you follow me, you'll be with me. You'll be right alongside of me, both now and for eternity. He said, if you serve me, then my Father will honor you. My Father will honor you. Now, here's the next part that I haven't ever seen before. Verse 27. Actually, there's two things, 27 and 28. And I have no idea why I've never noticed either one of these. Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. (laughs) But what shall I say? (laughs) And I'm going to try to do this in the, in the, in the sarcasm or the, the tone in which Jesus may have said it. He said, my soul is troubled, but what can I do? What can I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? Well, that'd be silly because it's for this cause I came to this hour. He said, my soul is troubled. Should I ask to be relieved? No, this is why I came. What catches me by surprise is I thought the first time Jesus was troubled was when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I said the disciples should know. They should be aware of the fact that Jesus' heart and his spirit was troubled within him and, and he was in agony in the garden and they should have noticed that something was wrong and he even told them there. But this happens before that. This is earlier in the week. This is Monday. In the last week of Jesus' life, he says, my soul is troubled because what, what has been taking place, what he's doing is not easy. These are his chosen people. These are the ones who God picked, the people of Israel, the one who God picked to, to reveal himself, to reveal God to the world. And, and they have basically slammed the door in God's face, in Jesus' face, and Jesus says, okay, well, that, that's, you've made your decision. That's it. I'm not accepting worship anymore from here. Uh, I, I, this, this offer is, is closed, is done. Fig tree's dead. And it bothers him. It troubles him in his soul and troubles him in his spirit. And, and, and then he says, Father, please, 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 I, I, want, I want your name to be glorified in all this. Lord, God, I, I want people to see you. I, I want your name to be glorified. Everything Jesus does is to please the Father. Everything Jesus does is, is to draw attention to the Father that they might know God. You, you, you say you know God, but if you do not know the one who God sent, you don't know my Father. Please, Father, I, I want your name to be glorified. What happens next? Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. God speaks out loud to the people. This again is not just God talking to Jesus. It's not Jesus praying and God speaking to his heart. This is an out loud voice. This is the same as the baptism John the Baptist goes, this is the guy. There he is. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus comes and, and, and as proof, if, if my word is not good enough, we have seen the Holy Spirit descend from heaven. 
upon Jesus, lighted upon him as a dove, and, and, and the glory of God comes upon him. And God himself says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You hear the voice of God, you see the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you see Jesus himself there as John the Baptist declares who he is. And now at the end of Jesus' ministry, God speaks again. And as the son says, God, man, I want your name to be glorified amongst these people. I want these people to know who you are, and I want them to have the right opinion of you. And God says to his son, you have done that already. My name has been glorified through you and your life, and it will continue to be so. He said, you have done it. My name has been glorified, and it will continue to be glorified as Jesus is going to die on the cross. The audible voice of God. Again, if you are present, if, if I am watching John the Baptist baptize Jesus, I'm thinking, hey, you know, I think that guy's special. Don't know how I know that information. Maybe the baby's special because angels are singing his praises at his birth. Hmm. Maybe there's something going on. You know, come on. They hear it. Notice the next verse. The people, therefore, that stood by heard it and said, was that thunder? Uh, No, no, no. An angel spoke to him. Well, at least they acknowledged that there was a voice. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Jesus said, the voice you just heard was not for my benefit. It was for your benefit. The voice you just heard was not for my benefit, but was for yours. So that you will know that the events that are going to be taking place very soon, the rest of this week, the events that are taking place are orchestrated by God himself, by my Father. He says, he's troubled in his spirit, and he says, Lord, more than anything else, I want, I want you to be honored in all this stuff that's going on. And God basically says, you're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. You've been doing great. You're going to continue to do great. And he said, the voice you just heard is to prove to you that what is happening, what, what I am doing, what's going to happen to me over this next week is all part of God's plan. It's not something that just happens by happenstance. God is completely in control. I want you to know that what happens next is God. Because what's going to happen next is sin is going to be judged. Now is the judgment of this world. God's going to judge the world. And the prince of this world will be cast out. Satan's going to, Satan's doom is approaching. My death, if you lift me up, and he indicates by this what death he's going to die, speaking of the fact he's going to die by crucifixion, And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to me. And this he said, signifying by what death he should die. The idea is he basically tells them, when I am crucified, men will be drawn to me. And then he says, it's also interesting, by the way, in verse 32, he says, all men, not just Jewish men, but all men will be drawn to me. Very quickly, they ask a question, and it's a really, really good question. They said, um... Jesus, we have have one more issue we want to talk to you about. Um, The Old Testament law, 
when it talks about the Messiah. It said the Messiah is going to come and he's going to rule and reign forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And you refer to yourself as the Son of Man. And you say that the Son of Man must be crucified and must die. So Moses in the law says that the Messiah will never die. And you say the Son of Man will die. So the Son of Man can't be the Messiah, can he? That's their question. And Jesus said, I've been trying to explain this to you. And he said, I'm just going to ask you to trust me. It's an interesting answer. The people said, verse number 34, we've heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. Messiah abides forever. How do you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? He can't be the Messiah. He said, you know what, just a little while. Be patient. The light is with you and referring to himself as the light. Walk by what you see, by what you believe. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you might be the children of the light. Because of these things spake Jesus, and he departed and hid himself from them. He says, just basically, he just looks at him and goes, man, I've been trying to explain this to you. <laughs> so all I'm doing right now is just asking you to trust me. You don't have to understand everything. Just believe the light. If you see it, if you hear it, you believe it, then believe the light. Just, just hang with me a little longer. A little while longer, walk with me, believe in me, follow the light. Then you'll know what is right. We'll look at this next week, but verse number 37 says, But though Jesus had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. And they'll go down verse number 42. Ironically enough, nevertheless, among the chief rulers... Pharisees included. Also, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So you have two groups of people, some who, no matter what they saw, no matter how many miracles Jesus did, no matter how, what he performed, no matter what he said, they did not believe. And he said, it's the dead fig tree. And then those that did believe were not committed or did not commit themselves openly. They were silent believers, lest they be put out of the synagogue, lest they you know, be ridiculed, lest, you know, and so they, they believed in him, but kept it to themselves. And so Jesus, this last week, he said, you need to pick a side. Pick a side. He's closing some doors. He's angering a lot of people at this particular point. But the temple worship is done because you're supposed to be worshiping me. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and you're going to have God in you. And Peter's going to declare to him that the temple of God is with men. He's in us now. We don't worship God in buildings made with men's hands. We worship uh, the, the temple of God is in our hearts. Things are changing, and there's one, there's one way. Oh, Father, I want to glorify your name. And God says, you already have, and you'll continue to do so.
and Jesus does. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Father, so many things here again that boggle our minds and, and cause us to um, be amazed at, at your work. What is interesting is the, the Pharisees of the day and the, and the leaders of the day, they seem to understand exactly what you're doing, exactly what you're saying. And that's what makes them so angry. They, they get it, they understand it, but they just haven't received it. Father, I pray again, if there's somebody here in this audience that does not know you as Savior, that they would get that matter taken care of today. That They would put their faith and trust in you. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God sent Jesus as a gift to us to show his love for us. And Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sin. He's going to pay the price so that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. When I die... I will draw all men to myself. That is the offer. Father, if someone here does not know you, may they accept that offer today and get that matter taken care of. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. May it help us to walk in the light of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.